0: Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Tonight we're going into Revelation Revealed. This is part 33, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 20 again. And I'm going to try to finish chapter 20, but I've got a few things i got to take care of them. I guess I'm delaying the end of Revelation Revealed because I'm sad to see it go. I had a lot of fun with it, but we're coming to the end. We're almost there, but you know how I can drag out a couple of chapters for a long time. I actually want to clarify something that I went into last week from 1 John as we get started. and uh, Let me say a prayer before we move any further. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your word, God, for what you're doing at Life Point and in, in, in our midst, Lord, growing this church, blessing it, sending us revival, God. And I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. Man, we had an awesome pastor's breakfast Sunday. Or Pastor's Breakfast. I'm still in that mode, y'all. It was it's a pastor's lunch. Just had a slew of folks in the pastor's lunch, and just that just is so exciting to me. God's just doing some awesome things here. Uh, last week I mentioned something in First John when I talked about matching the apostolic handprint, and, and I want to cover this again because it may have been a little bit confusing, and uh, I, nobody really came to me. But as I was saying it, I thought I, I better clarify this and and cover it again just uh, a little bit. Maybe that's my perfectionistic tendencies, but I, I just want to show you because I I kind of misquoted something, but. I, I told you, I said, in context, that's what this is saying. So I want to go to 1 John chapter 1. Now here's how this connects. John wrote the book of Revelation. So this is the same guy. And listen to this. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. Now, let me stop for a second and say this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. This is going back to the ministry of Jesus. And John is talking to people who weren't there. But he's saying, listen to what I say. I was there, not only me, but 11 of my compadres. We were all there. We heard, we saw, we looked upon, we handled concerning the word of life. That's Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The word was made flesh. That which we have seen, the twelve, saw, and heard, and we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship, that word is koinonia, fellowship with us. In other words, everybody else can have fellowship with the twelve, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. And with His Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal Spirit of the living God. And then with the Savior, the manifest Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that our joy may be full. I'm writing this to you so we can have this fellowship and in so doing have this joy. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you. We got this from Christ Christ. Remember when Jesus said, not only do I pray for you, but for those who will believe on me through your word in John 17. So that's what he's referring to here, the message we heard from him and have declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. And the bottom line is this, the apostles if they walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, there's a fellowship that the apostles will have with Jesus and if we walk in the light as he is in the light through the word of the apostles, then not only will we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, we'll have fellowship with the 12. In other words, we'll have this common ground, and we will we will be walking in lockstep with the message they preached, meaning we'll know our God in the same way that they knew our God. Does that make sense? Are you with me? In other words, we will match that apostolic handprint. And so going back, how does that relate? I was relating it to Augustine and Origen and some of these church fathers and early adopters of Christianity, although 100, 200, 300 years removed. You know, it doesn't take long before you get error, right? John would write, in this same epistle, and say there are antichrists already. There's a spirit of error. There's people that came from us, but they're really not of us, y'all. They're saying dumb things. You got to try the spirits. He was saying stuff like that. And so, if that was happening in John's day, think about a hundred years removed. Do you ever play that game, like where you whisper rumors to each other? Like you say, you try to say something, that goes down the line, and eventually, it's like what was said, and they say it, and it's totally off. Well, that's kind of what's happened. It's kind of like in carpentry. If you start uh, cutting two by fours and you cut the first two by four by a measurement, and then you take that two by four, you just cut from a measurement, and you don't measure, you just take that two by four and mark off the next one and cut, and then take that one and go to the next one and mark it from that one and, and cut, eventually you're going to have all, every bore is going to be a different length. You got to go from the measurement. The apostles' teaching, preaching, practices, that is the measurement. And if we go by a 100 years removed, we'll be off. But if we go back to the book of Acts, we have their teaching, we have their practices, the orthodoxy, the orthopraxy. I say that a lot here at this church, but it has helped me a whole lot to stay out of error because if you just listen to anybody that comes along, people say stuff that sounds cool, man. Like, well, that's a great thought. But does it match what the apostles preached? Are you with me? It's important that we match what the apostles preached and practiced. It's really vital. It's vital that we do that. And so we work hard to make that happen here at LifePoint. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with the 12 and with the one true and living God who manifests himself in the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So now, chapter 20 20 speaks of the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ. Millennium uh, refers to a thousand years. Uh, A thousand years is used six times in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. I believe it refers to a literal thousand years. My belief on the millennial reign of Christ is the minority report. Only about 10% of mainline denominations believe this, uh, at least in, in this respect the way that I do. There are three predominant views regarding the thousand years in Revelation 20. I mentioned them. Post-millennialists, they believe the church will grow more and more powerful in <clears throat> uh, the thousand years, and and Jesus will come and set up his throne on a predominantly Christian planet. That's post, hence post-millennial. So for a thousand, some thousand year period of time, the earth's going to get super Christian and then Jesus just comes back and and sets up his throne. And, and And in my opinion, that's a hard sale because it seems to me it's getting worse and worse. I don't know about you, but that's the way it looks to me. And so when's a thousand years going to start? Uh, it ought to start quick, I hope. But I don't believe that point of view. Presbyterian denominations, uh, for the most part, do. The second point of view regarding the thousand years in Revelation 20 is a millennialist. A millennialist, a at the beginning, meaning anti against millennialism. They believe all of this language about a millennium is strictly idiomatic or or uh, metaphoric, symbolic. Uh, That Jesus will not come back and set up an earthly kingdom that will last for a thousand years. They believe the book of Revelation is symbolic. It's it's ambiguous only, irrelevant to the modern day. And as for the amillennialist point of view, that's held by the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek and Eastern Orthodox churches. Uh, It's the view of Lutherans, Anglicans, Episcopalians, Methodists. Now these views both say that the promises God made to Israel regarding future promises have been Nullified because of their violation of the, the covenants. As a matter of fact, these two views are the basis for what is known as replacement theology, which says you can take all the scriptures in the Old Testament regarding future prophecies of Israel and you could apply them to the church. The church replaces Israel because of their failure. And in all uh, practical application pr- purposes, whatever, uh, they're basically saying God is done with Israel. Israel. And, and really this point of view, when you take Israel out of the equation in prophecy, your eschatology, then you're setting yourself up for a, a slew, a lot of anti-Semitism. And, and this kind of thought that uh, Israel, God's done with Israel has has been the, the thought, the theology behind so much that is anti-Semitic. Some writers say that you can clearly trace the theological foundation for the Holocaust, Holocaust from Augustine to Auschwitz. And I tend to agree with that. I believe you can make the case, though, that there are over 1,800 references to the millennium in the Old Testament alone. I believe the millennial reign of Christ is its all over the Old Testament. As we've seen, the book of Revelation has over 800 references or allusions to the Old Testament. you got to know your Old Testament to really get the book of Revelation, and in the New Testament, there are over 318 references to it. There are hundreds of very specific verses that point to the promise of the first coming of Jesus, and I mean at Bethlehem, and I told you last time, for every one prophesying of his first coming, there are eight prophesying of his second coming, and I don't mean the rapture. I mean coming back to set up his kingdom at the millennial reign of Christ. It's all in the scripture, and it blows my mind, that again, going back to the third century and before, you've got you've got this point of view that was, you know, Augustine, Origin, really before him, that that all of this is allegory. This doesn't have any relevance. They're trying to figure it out, and they just kind of wipe out Revelation twenty and a lot of other passages in a fell swoop. That that changes the historical perspective, the theologians that would come along for years and years and years to come to where to this day, most people do not believe that there is a millennial reign of Christ even in Christianity. So, let's take uh, a look at a few things regarding the millennium. We started out Genesis and the book of Revelation by considering the idea of an earth lease, okay, you may recall that, if not, you can go back and listen to some podcasts, in Genesis, those early, uh, those early series, the the early chapters in Genesis in that series, and then also early on in Revelation, we talked about this, Uh, let me throw some things out to you, seven is significant in the Bible, numbers have meaning in the Bible, it's uh, interesting, seven is a significant number, it's the number of what, Completion. completion, absolutely, the number seven's directly mentioned or alluded to over 860 times in your Bible. Seven is the number of completeness, and when I say it is all those times, I don't mean like the ch- the verse or the chapter. You know, like a seven's there. That's not what I'm talking about. Those are added later, but I mean the number seven or uh, a derivative. Some you know some uh, derivative. It, it's mentioned over 860 times in your Bible. It's the number of completeness, completion, perfection, and it derives much of its meaning from being tied directly to creation. According to some Jewish traditions, and I love to check these out, the creation of Adam occurred. I love this, and Dr. Bob was kind of like into this. The creation of Adam occurred on September the 26th, 3760 B.C. Isn't that fantastic? So I think maybe on September the 26th, we we'll have a special Sunday. <laughs> right? And celebrate the creation of Adam. Now, here's the deal. That day significant. It's the first day of Tishri, which is the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar. The word created is used seven times describing God's creative work. There are seven days in a week, and God's Shabbat, His Sabbath, is on the seventh day. No animal could be sacrificed until it was seven days old. There were seven I.M.s in the Gospel of John. The Lord would discipline Israel up to seven fold seven times, if they refused to obey. Jesus mentions seven woes or judgments on the unrepentant, Matthew 23. Jesus also mentions seven parables in Matthew 13. There are seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. There were also seven trumpets announcing seven judgments uh, by God in the book of Revelation. Seven signs given in the Gospel of John. Seven pairs of clean animals that were received into the ark. Joshua and Israel marched around Jericho how many times? Seven priests blew how many trumpets before the walls came crashing down. And we saw the parallel between Joshua and the book of Revelation in, in this series. It's fascinating. Elisha told the military commander Naaman to bathe in the Jordan River how many times? And he would be healed of his leprosy. There were seven qualities or attributes of the Messiah mentioned in Isaiah 11, two, The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, etc. There are seven things that the Lord hates. Mentioned in Proverbs six sixteen, there were seven stems on the on the menorah, the lampstand in the tabernacle. Seven angels pouring out seven bowls of wrath. In, in Revelation sixteen, we looked at that. Seven is interesting. It's a fascinating number. It's all throughout your Bible. Now let me give you some more interesting stuff. There's a guy named Doctor Ivan Panin, who was born in Russia in 1855. He participated in some plots against the Tsar at an early age and ended up being exiled and spent some years in Germany. Then he came to the United States and he went to Harvard University and graduated in 1882. He converted from agnosticism to Christianity. And in 1890, he discovered some of the phenomenal mathematical designs that underlie both the Greek of the New Testament and the Hebrew of the Old Testament, It's fascinating when you dig in to Dr. Penan's writings. He was going to spend 50 years deciphering, painstakingly exploring numerical structures of the Scripture. Listen, not only do I believe the Word is inspired by the Holy Ghost, not not only do I believe it's, it's, uh, you know, inerrant, not only do I believe that God breathed on men and they wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. Not only do I believe those words are, I believe the the, the, the sentence structure. I believe the space in between. I believe the numbers of the words, the vowels, the consonants. I believe all that, got, y'all, was divinely inspired by God. And when you look at the patterns... And, and this dear doctor dug some stuff out. It is amazing. Do you mind if I share some of this with you? To me, this is just phenomenal. He, he, he generated 43,000 detailed hand-pinned pages of analysis and died at 87. It's incredic, incredible. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it refers to the... The sevens in the Bible, it's it's the heptatic, meaning seven, the heptatic structure of even the text. The recurrence of the number seven or an exact multiple of seven is found throughout the Bible and is widely recognized. The Sabbath on the seventh day, the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine in Egypt, the seven priests, the seven trumpets, Jericho, Sabbath year of the land were well-known examples Solomon building the temple for seven years. Naaman washing in the river. We looked at that. Seven churches, seven lampstands, seals, trumpets, seven bowls, seven stars, and on and on. But underneath, even beyond that, Panin points these things out, both the Greek and in the New Testament. Listen to this vocabulary. One of the simplest and most provocative aspects of the biblical text is the vocabulary used. Dr. Bob talked about how many words were in the Hebrew. While wow, Dr. Bob just speaking even though he's already gone. The number of vocabulary words in a passage is normally different from the total number of words in a passage. Some words are repeated. So it's easy, for example, to use a vocabulary of 500 words to write an essay of 4,000 words because you're reusing some of those words. It's not 4,000 exclusive independent words. So the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew are a logical unit, these 17 verses It's a section, and it deals with a single principal subject, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, within that genealogy, in those 17 verses, it contains 72 Greek words in these initial 17 verses. The verse divisions, you know, are man's. Man added that verse 1, verse 2, etc., in the chapters and all for convenience later. But the number of words which are nouns is exactly 56 in those 17 verses. 56 is 7 times 8. The Greek word the occurs most frequently in the passage exactly 56 times. Again, 7 times 8. Also, the number of different forms in which the article the occurs is exactly 7. There are two main sections in the passage verses 1 through 11 and 12 through 17. In the first main section, the number of Greek vocabulary words used is 49, which, as we know, is 7 times what? 7 times 7. Why would it not have been 48 or 50 or, you know, some other number? Of these 49 words, the number of those beginning with a vowel is 28, which is 7 times 4. The number of words beginning with a consonant is 21 or 7 times 3. The total number of letters in these 49 words is 266, or 7 times 38. Exactly. The number of vowels among these 266 letters is 140, or 7 times 20. The number of consonants is 126, or 7 times 18. Exactly. Of the 49 words, the number of words which occur more than once, you have to go back and listen to this, I know this gets confusing, The number of words which occur more than once is 35 or 7 times 5. The number of words occurring only once is 14 or 7 times 2. The number of words which occur in only one form is exactly 42 or 7 times 6. The number of words appearing in more than one form is also 7. That's ridiculous. I'm telling you, we serve a God who knows how to get every crossing of the T and dotting of the I in the right place and preserve it for all of time. And then give us an, an understanding. People say, you can't prove the Bible is divinely inspired. Not only do I believe you can prove it's divinely inspired, you can put it in, in the language that the modern scientist understands. It is. It comes from another realm, y'all, outside of time and space. Only an intelligent designer outside of the limitations of this world could make something like that happen. I'm convinced. The number of the Greek vocabulary words, the number of the 49 Greek vocabulary words, which are nouns, is 42. That's 7 times 6. The number of words, this is just in those verses. The number of words which are not nouns is 7. Of the nouns, 35 are proper names, or exactly 7 times 5. These 35 names are used 63 times, that's 7 times 9. The number of male names is exactly 28. That's 7 times 4. It's ridiculous. You you couldn't make this stuff up, y'all. These male names occur 56 times or 7 times 8. The number which are not male names is 7. Three women are mentioned, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. The number of Greek letters in these three names is 14. That's 7 times 2. The number of compound names is seven. The number of Greek letters in these seven nouns is 49, or seven times seven. Only one city is named in this passage, Babylon, which in Greek contains exactly seven letters. And on and on it goes. Listen to this. Is this interesting? Just thought I'd share this with you. There are even more features in the numerical structure of the words themselves. As you may know, both Hebrew and Greek... Uses, they use the, uh, the the letters of the alphabet for numerical values. Therefore, any specific word in either Hebrew or Greek has a numerical value of its own by adding up the values of the letters in that particular word. The study of the numerical values of words is called uh, uh, gemetria. The 72 vocabulary words add up to a geometric Uh, geometrical value of 42,364 or 7 times 6,052. Exactly. If one Greek letter was changed, it would not happen. The 72 words appear in 90 forms. Some appear in more than one form. The numeric value of the 90 forms is 54,075 or 7 times 7,725. Exactly. That's what this Russian doctor discovered. And there are there are others, but it becomes abundantly clear. It becomes obvious. This is not accidental or coincidental. That this the, the rabbis used to say coincidence is not a kosher word. God is in control. God knows how to make all of that happen. The absolute finger of God involved in even the words of the text. There are words in the passage that just describe that occur nowhere else in the New Testament. They occur 42 times, 7 times 6, and have 126 letters, 7 times 18. Just incredibly worthless. I could go on and on. It's just amazing how the hand of God was even in getting that text as it is to us in the modern day. Just amazing. It's amazing to me, Wayne. Now, seven, so we've seen some sevens. Seven is the number of completion. Six is the number of what? Man. Man was created on the sixth day. And we've already seen implications from that, Revelation 13, the number of a man, 666. Now, man... (coughs) Going back to this idea of a lease, an earth lease. There, there's some scriptures you got to reconcile. Some of you have heard me say this. Some of you have never heard me say this. But you have to reconcile some scriptures. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But Psalm 115.16 says, The highest of heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the children of man. How can the earth be the Lord's? How can the earth still be the Lord's if he gave it to the children of man? He gave it to man to use for a while. It's a lease. If we were to rent this building out to somebody, and we signed a lease, let's just say, God blessed us, we moved on into our thousand seater. We're doing multiple services in our thousand seater and we're okay with that. Got plenty of parking. Gymnasium, youth center. We buy the Sabon. We set it up for girls having kids and nowhere to go, homeless folks, whatever. We're just we're reaching out, man. We're doing some stuff. And we rent this out. And uh, we rent it out to whoever, and we sign a lease on it. We say, uh, "Okay, you guys can can use this. Uh, you know, it's an unconditional lease, basically, for six years. It's it's yours. You can do whatever you want to it. Now, we want you to behave and 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 not disgrace the the church name that you know that owns it. But we're gonna sign this. So we sign a legal, legal document. We give this organization. Oh my lord, it's 8:05. sorry y'all so so <laughs> so we we lease the building out and we say just don't disgrace the church but we sign it all the way they have it for six years and they go crazy in here they turn it into a honky talk man you know is that an old school word or what turn to, to a honky talk you know and it's like they're they're serving liquor and doing all kind of terrible things and and we're distressed and we we, we like hire lawyers, and they're like, you signed your rights away. And so when the six years is up, we're going to come in and clean house and say, you, you're out of here. We're taking back up. We never lost ownership of this property, but we lost, the legal word is usufrux. We, we lost the, the use of it because we signed that away. God gave Adam this earth for a period of time. I believe it's 6,000 years. And when that day ends, when that lease is up, he's coming to clean house. The Lord, who the earth really belongs to, he's coming to clean house. And Jesus is going to set up shop and reign for thousand years. The Shabbat, the Sabbath, it belongs to the Lord. Six days you'll work and then you'll rest. It's a year of rest. And this is the only time I believe that a thousand years is to the Lord as a day and a day is like a thousand years. That's where this applies in the idea that there are 6,000 years that belong to man and then a thousand years where the Lord sets up shop on the earth. It's the millennial reign of Christ. So there is an earth lease. My goodness, I've not even got to my nose I'm sorry but you know that means we'll have some more time in revelation <laughs> let me read this to you the devil's kingdom is built on lies and untruth Matthew 7 you may remember the man who builds his house on the rock and the man who builds his house on the sand we won't take time to look there but the bottom line is this whosoever hears these sayings of mine Jesus says and does them I'll liken him to a man who built his house on on the rock. John 8, 32. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. The only thing that sets you free is knowledge of the truth and then what Jesus said, acting on it. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So you've got to know it and you've got to act on it. It's not enough just to believe. you got to believe and then put some action behind that. Put some obedience behind it. Faith without works is dead. both are vital, faith and obedience, to be set free to be loosed. And so we're going to see that the devil is chained until that thousand years' time is finished. And as a result, his ability to deceive the nations is gone. It's removed. Now, oh, so let me at least read the book of Revelation tonight. Uh We looked at those first three verses. Let's go to verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So here we see thrones and people sitting on these thrones. Who is sitting on these thrones? Who are these people? It could be the four and twenty-four, uh, four and twenty elders, the twenty-four elders we looked at in Revelation four, representing uh, the church, the apostles, the, the Old Testament saints, all the saints as a whole. And the idea it says that. Judgment was committed to them. There's a certain amount of authority, and they are judging. I believe that is us. I believe we're part of that. And Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6 this mysterious scripture. He said that we will judge angels. And so this could be us judging angels. And not necessarily good angels, but bad angels. And so here you have this idea of judgment committed to these people sitting on the thrones. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So not only is judgment there, there's this idea of reigning. The saints reign with Jesus for the same period of time that Satan is bound, this thousand years, administrating the kingdom of Jesus Christ all across the globe, reigning over those who pass from the earth of uh, 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 reigning over those who uh, pass from the earth. Uh, of the great tribulation uh, to the earth of the millennium. So they're, they're in this millennial reign of Christ. They go from the tribulation to the millennium, and here we are ruling and reigning. I believe it is the church. Beheaded is a big word. It doesn't just necessarily mean beheading like we think of it today. It means they are, they are killed. And so we have this idea of people who were beheaded or, or killed, they were murdered because of their witness to Jesus. And they didn't worship the beast or his image. And so I think this is speaking of all those who overcome uh, in the, the tribulation period of time uh, that are going to be, well, they're going to be here at this ruling and reigning with Jesus as well. They're specifically, met, and, and here's why they're mentioned uh, uh, specifically, because I believe they're ruling and reigning too, because we're going to see a resurrection in a moment. Stand with me right now for crying out loud. We're going to see a resurrection in a moment, which is called the first resurrection, and we'll deal with that. It's a resurrection by category and class rather than numerically the only or the first one. It's a class of resurrection, and we'll see this where people were martyred for their faith in Jesus, but it says of them specifically they're included in this group that's reigning. Why would he include them? Like, if we've been raptured, that wouldn't necessarily be us because we left prior to the tribulation saints. So why would he mention them? It's so cool. Because they'll have this book of Revelation to read as they're suffering in the tribulation. And it will be an encouragement to them. If we'll just hold on, we've got a special place in what's coming next. It's an encouragement. Here's the bottom line. It's an epic story, y'all. I'm just trying to follow the text. It's an epic story. And if God went to this much trouble to get us this word, if he went to this much trouble to make sure it was preserved and all those sevens were intact so some Russian intellectual could dig it out, And say, look what I found. And we could see that and say, wow, the hand of God made this happen. Nobody could make this happen. He can handle your situation. He can get you through your darkest hour. You can put your faith in him because he's bigger than all of this. This stuff we see is temporary, y'all. And, and and Nick, even with that situation there, cancer is nothing compared to the power of our great God. Who said, Let there be, and there was. He can redo, he can redo those genetics and and just in, in, in one just one mighty burst of his power with, with his little finger, just boom, and the cancer's gone in Jesus' name. My God is able, y'all. Our God is powerful. He's greater than any situation you're facing. Any addiction, y'all. He's greater than genetics. He's greater than your upbringing and even the psychological problems we deal with. He's greater than the physical, the spiritual. He can deal with you, spirit, soul, and body. He can change everything about you and every situation you're facing. My God is able. Hallelujah. Lift your hands to him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, sweet Jesus. What a mighty God we serve. A mighty God we serve. Father, you're not, you're not of this world. You're, there, is, there is an otherness about you, God. You're big. You inhabit eternity. You created all things without you. Not anything was made that was made. Father, we're so grateful that you loved us enough to condescend, to come down to our level, to robe yourself in flesh, die on a rugged cross and raise from the dead and ever live to work with us, make intercession for us, meet our needs. I thank you, Lord, spirit, soul, and body. You provided for our every need. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golivepoint.com.